0: Once again, good morning. If you want, you can open up your Bibles with me or you can follow along on the screen as I'm about to jump into the book of James, chapter 3, verses 2 to 12. I'm going to jump in pretty quick this morning just simply because this text has so much to say to us. But I will start with a little phrase that we sometimes use in today's world. And and we use it to partly, I think, excuse ourselves or minimize the impact, and it's a little phrase, it's just words. And I think James is going to challenge that little statement for us today and help us understanding, help us in understanding that words are never just words, that in fact they are extremely powerful influencers over our hearts and minds but also as we speak words we are powerful influencers through those words in the in the hearts and minds of others so just with that little introduction it's just words and how i think james is going to challenge that a little bit this morning i want to dive right into james chapter 3 verses 2 to 12 i'm going to read through the whole and then we'll come back and, and we'll pull it apart a little bit. Now, if you happen to have a Bible and you're looking at verse 1, you'll notice that he's cautioning people about becoming teachers. Because he's saying if you're a teacher, oh my goodness. So so this goes for parents. Think about your words toward your kids. It goes obviously for teachers and preachers. But really all of us are are we will find ourselves in a position of teaching others from time to time. But listen to how he goes on in verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example, Corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. fresh water so those are kind of straightforward words aren't they and and so let me just give you a little background on why james is just out the gate with straightforward words and if you read all the way back to james chapter one actually throughout the whole book of the book of james you find this straightforward language uh no pulling punches from james I think part of that comes from the fact that James was a brother of Jesus. Uh, and, and so after Jesus was born, as we know by a miracle, uh, Mary and Joseph were married and they produced other children. James was one of those. Can you imagine being the little brother of Jesus? I, I mean, we could go for a long time making jokes about being the little brother of Jesus. I don't know that I would have wanted to be the little brother of Jesus, with mom and dad saying, your older brother Jesus is so perfect, why can't you be more like him? Fortunately, through the years, James came to accept that, as he says here, we're all imperfect in so many ways except for my older brother Jesus. But one thing he never did do was reconcile himself to the fact, rightfully so, that being a follower of Jesus and taking in his grace meant that we can live however we want. That that if we are touched by God's grace, then maybe the natural conclusion as Paul tackles in Romans chapter 6 is, well, if I sin more, grace will abound more, won't it? And James, the little brother of Jesus, never accepted that it that it should be that way, that God wants it to be that way. In fact, James, along with Paul and the other apostles, said, when you become a Christian, you are actually reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit through your baptism. You're a new person. And because you're a new person with a new identity, dearly loved child of God, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, isn't that going to reflect itself in how you live your life? Isn't it just natural that if you were born in sin, yes, we can understand that you're going to live in sin, but if you are now reborn to Christ's righteousness, even though you will always have a struggle with your old Adam, we all do, and as James says, he starts with humility, um, we all stumble in many ways, yet doesn't being a Christian reflecting the grace and the forgiveness that touches our hearts and our lives every day that Jesus gives us, doesn't it mean that our lives are going to change? And maybe that's going to involve obviously the power of the Holy Spirit, but also maybe it's going to involve um, a struggle on our part to live in alignment with the new man rather than the old Adam that is still within us. And now today, specifically, he's, he's asking the question, what do we need to consider if we want our tongues to glorify God for the grace he's given us? What do we need to think about if we want our words to align with our new men rather than our old Adams? And so let's start with the very first verse, James 3.2, and I want to talk to you about something called Keystone Habits. Because James here is telling us there are certain habits that if we develop a a self-control powered by the Spirit in this area, it's going to spill over into many other areas of life. I'll explain a little bit more deeply about keystone habits in just a moment. But let's let's read James 3.2. He says, we all stumble in many ways. I love the humility, right? He's being real here. He's not, he's not saying, listen, you gotta." if you're touched by the grace of God and you're reborn through baptism, you're going to be perfect. Far from it. We all understand that we still struggle with sin and we stumble in many ways. Then he goes on and he hits on words in particular. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So I want you to notice what James is saying here is that if we can gain control with God's help and in his grace, if we can gain control of our words, the rest of the body will follow. We'll better be able to control our eyes, our hands, our feet, and everything else in our body. Now, you know, this aligns with what we're learning a lot today in Our culture and through science about how good habits work. It's pretty cool to see sometimes that 2,000 years ago, a guy named James, the brother of Jesus, said, if you develop one habit, it will spill over into others. And now here in the 21st century, we're discovering through research that this indeed does happen. So I want to put a quote by a gentleman named James Clear up here. We have habits everywhere in our lives, but certain routines, what he calls keystone habits, lead to a cascade, that's an important word, of other actions because of them. I'm not always on top of my game, but on the days that I work out, he considers working out a keystone habit, on the days that I work out, everything seems to come a little bit easier. And I'll take all the help I can get as I continue my quest to become better. Imagine how much easier and more fulfilling your lifestyle could be if you discovered one or two keystone habits that naturally put the rest of your life in place. I love that. That naturally put the rest of your life in place. Are there just a couple habits that if we develop them, it's going to help with the whole of life. So often we struggle to live the way we want to simply because we don't have the willpower to make different decisions. That's our sin nature at work. Whether it's having the discipline to eat healthy or the courage to take a risk or the energy to volunteer more often or the drive to perform better at work, we delay these choices even though we know they are important simply because we don't have the willpower to make something new happen today. Improving your lifestyle and becoming the type of person who has their act together isn't nearly as hard as you might think. That's kind of comforting. In fact, you might need just one keystone habit before the dominoes start falling everywhere. That's James Clear. Isn't that interesting? That, in fact, we don't necessarily have to think about changing every little thing that we stumble in, as James calls it, but that, actually, if we develop a couple of keystone habits, those will cascade out and help us change the rest of our lives and help us empower so that we don't have to be using as much willpower in every area of our life, which would just drain our batteries, let's face it. But once we start the cascade, the cascade is going to help us. Now, what does God say here is an amazing keystone habit. He says, gain control of your tongues, your lips, your words, and you will see that that's going to help you gain control of your whole body. Self-control in general, he's saying, is going to become so much easier if we can control what we say. Is that not an amazing thing to know? What if we struggle, as I did when I was a teenager growing up in in a house that was filled with cussing and anger? And then I became a Christian late in my teen years having grown up in that house and developing quite the habit of not the prettiest language. But with God's help and the help of a few well-placed friends, I decided I was going to eliminate cuss words. And I began to work at that. And eventually that Came along. Now, to this day, I I grew up in that house. I still have my times when I struggle. I hope none of you get to hear me when I'm really frustrated. But I've worked at it. And with God's help, I'm so much better in controlling that aspect. Let me ask you a practical question Where do you need to address your language? Is it with cuss words? Is it with Anger and frustration that you tend to lash out at others in your house or at work? Where is it in your life where you need to say, I think if I gain control of this and make that a keystone habit, the whole of my life can get better. And that's what I want to encourage you to think about and talk about with your family because here's the truth that we start with, that James starts with, The one who controls words controls everything. You know what's the beauty of this? Is James himself actually suggests some ways that we can use and control our words to benefit our faith life and our relationship with God. And he would say these are other keystone habits to develop as you're thinking about gaining control over your words. So in James five, he says this, is anyone among you in trouble? Are, Are you feeling frustrated? Well, try this, let them pray. What if instead of lashing out, instead we prayed with our words? Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. And then how about verse 16? What's another great keystone habit that we can develop with our words? It's confessing our sins. Taking those to God, letting Him forgive us, and then letting Him empower us. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. And I love this part. I have a friend, actually, who said one of the most important things he ever did with an addiction that he was struggling with was to find a great friend And just start opening up about this struggle with this addiction that he was having. And he said, it was was like everything else began to change. Once I just followed what this verse says. And I opened up about this sin and this addiction that I was struggling with. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be. Look what's going to happen. If we use our words As James recommends to confess our sins, he promises us healing. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So that's number one. Remember how important it is and how central to living a life that glorifies God, getting control of our tongues are because it's a keystone habit. All right, number two, let's talk because James talks next about word power. When, uh, when our family was young, there was a little section in Reader's Digest called Word Power, and we used to play that game all the time. And uh, our kids, I think, developed pretty good vocabularies because we would open up the Reader's Digest and go through that. Well, James takes this a thousand steps further than just learning new vocabulary. And he says, above all... Please understand how powerful your words are. It's never just words. Your words can change things inside you and for others. So let's let's take a look at James. I only put a few of the verses here. I'm actually going to read all um, from 3 to 8 here because you want to get a sense of what James is saying about the great uh, power of words. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we turn the whole animal. Now, horses are super powerful. A little tiny bit can move that whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. You know, what he's saying is don't minimize a lot, a lot of times when we're engaged in sin and when we're not very self-controlled, you know what one of the problems is? We minimize our sins. And, and he's really pointing out to us that it might be easy to minimize this sin because look, your, your mouth's just the tiniest little part of your body. And, and, and so you're going to be tempted, so tempted to minimize sins with your mouth You're going to be tempted to rationalize them away, and he says, "Uh uh-uh, because as small as your tongue might be compared to the rest of your body, it has great power. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed. Bears, lions, you can think of all the big powerful animals, but what does he say about the tongue? but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. What a description. A restless evil full of deadly poison. It's like a serpent, he says, that's constantly slithering around and wants to bite us spiritually and poison us. Be very, very, very cautious and careful With our words, he's saying. Again, this is not anything that we don't know just from culture. There have been some great authors who have pointed this out. Anybody here familiar with George Orwell? He wrote a very famous book. You might have read it even in high school. If your teacher thought it was a worthwhile book, um, you can still check it out. The book, if you've ever wondered, where, where does that saying about government being Big Brother come from? It's from this book by George Orwell called 1984. It's about a very dystopian world, right? And in the middle of that book, George Orwell writes this. But if thought corrupts language, language can also corrupt thought. Just motor on that for a minute. Our words have the ability to spoil our thinking. That's what he's saying. It's, if we use our words wrongly, it's like at home when you set the fruit out and you put all kinds of other spoiled fruit around it, <laughs> the fresh fruit is going to spoil more rapidly, right? Because thought corrupts language, but language also corrupts thought. But here's another book that I I think you might even know a little bit better. Many of us have read the Harry Potter books. In Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, J.K. Rowling says this, words are, in my not so humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic, capable of both inflicting injury and remedying it. See, even in our culture, even in our society, even in our most popular authors, it's understood that words have power. In fact, many of you probably heard that old saying, the pen is mightier than the, help me out, than the sword. And so James goes there to simply say, never diminish the power of your words. Do you know what great power you have to build others up? Do you know what great power you have to bring healing to your loved ones? Do you know what great power you have to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to let people know the peace that comes with the relationship with God through Jesus Christ? I mean especially as Christians where our words can be empowered by the Holy Spirit, not just our own words. It's amazing the power that God has given us by giving us a tongue to use to to his glory. So here's what I want you to write down. Handle with care. Words have destructive power. And it is exceedingly difficult to tame the tongue. So just be aware of that, James says. But that's not the end of the story, right? I mean, James is kind of trying to be straightforward with a bunch of Christians that, that maybe are ignoring the power of their words to destroy the lives of others, to, to, to really injure the hearts of others. But let's think about other parts of the Bible. Let's go back all the way to the beginning. Yes, as James says, words can be a spark, a rudder. They can be very damaging. They can steer lives to ill effect. But if you go all the way back to the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, the very first three verses of the very first chapter of the Bible, words also can have immense constructive power. Not just destructive power. How did all of this get here? How how did you get here? How did I get here? How did this world get here? Well, let's look at Genesis 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning was the world. Oh, no, that's John. Can you see if you can find the Genesis 1? should be right before there we go in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth all of this all of this god made it he created it out of nothing how do you do that now the earth was formless and empty darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the waters then what happened God spoke. God, you know, we we parents, teachers, we always say, use your words. God used his words or his word. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And do you know that God has shared with you that power to use his words to bring light into the hearts of other people? To be not just destructive, as James is warning us about, but also to be constructive and to build others up and encourage them and help them and give them God's wisdom to be aligned. That's why there are guardrails, because what those guardrails are, are God's words to guide us and give us wisdom for life so that we can place ourselves in line to be blessed by God. And why not place others in our lives whom we love? In line to be blessed by God, because we're not running off the road and four-wheeling past the guardrails that God has set up. It's such a beautiful thing that we've been given this power. All right, final point. I want to call it Words with Friends. How many of you played Words with Friends? You remember? Remember this game? Words with Friends. Some of you might still be playing it. Anyone ever played with that app? We, we love word games, don't we? I mean, a particular favorite of mine is Scrabble. I love to play Scrabble. My, my wife has played Words with Friends with our daughter. We love word games. And, and, and so James is saying words... Can be used to play games, but words with friends can go far beyond just games. Listen to, to how he puts it in uh, James 5, 10 through, uh, or James 3, 10, 11, 12, um, and, and even going back to 9 and 10. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing my brothers and sisters. this should not be, Why not? because' it's, it's not a reflection of who you really are. that's what he's going to say next is that our words kind of reveal, are we living more according to our old Adam, which is that old way of life that Paul says we've died to or Are our words more a reflection of our new identity, dearly loved child of God, showing that we're controlled by our new man, not our old Adam, showing that we want to bring glory to God? So listen to what he says. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Why not? Because at its root, a spring is either fresh water or salt water. It cannot be both. It can't live in these two worlds. Now, as Christians, James knows... We're tempted to live with one foot in this world and one foot in that world. We come to church, we're in our Christian world. We leave church, we've gone back to whatever other world that's not Christian that we live in. James says, no way. Be people of integrity. Be whole people. And if you identify as a dearly loved child of God, that is who you are at church for sure. Uh, around your fellow believers, yes, but also Sunday afternoon after church is done, Monday morning when you go to work, and throughout your entire work week. And so let your words reflect that. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? No, it's a fig tree. Can a child of God Be comfortable with sin? No. He or she is a child of God. Or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So here's what I want you to write down. What's in our words reveals what controls our hearts. Here's a quote from a gentleman named Richard Amaral. In his book, Awaken the Giant Within, Tony Robbins talks about the concept of transformational vocabulary. I kind of like that. The premise behind this concept is that our words shape how we feel and how we act towards someone. If we refer to our partners as that old lady or my other half or my crazy husband not only will it influence how we feel about our partners, but it will also affect how we treat them and how they treat us. Let me, let me just pause there. And, and do we sometimes rehearse this behind the scenes by talking about our loved ones with others using terminology like this? things that we would not say in front of our wife or our child, but when we're gossiping, when we're talking about them and they're not present, do we feel more free to use this kind of language because they're not here to object? Similarly, if we refer to our children as a goofball, little loser, or good-for-nothing... We will feel less connected to them and perhaps more resentful of who they are than if we were to use positive phrases and labels. It can become a self fulfilling prophecy where the phrase you use to describe the people you care about becomes the behavior you notice or focus on to support your expression. It's called confirmation bias. And psychologically, once we start to describe something a certain way, we will constantly information gather as we're around to confirm that what we're saying is really the truth. And and the point of using language in a wiser way is to say, what if we called people more positive names? (laughs) What if we gave them more positive labels? Will we then gain the benefit of confirmation bias to support that new name that we have for them? And that's really not different from what James is saying to us. He's saying, use this language to steer the ship. Use this language. Yes, it's a small spark. But understand that it can burn a great for us, so be careful about the tags and the labels and the names that we give each other, and especially those tags, labels, and names that we give each other when we're talking behind their back. You know what I think is one of the greatest things? Did you know that you can use, I'll call it gossip in quotation marks, it's not really gossip when we're doing what I'm about to describe? Did you know you can use it in a positive way? If you will commit behind the scenes to simply complimenting people who are not around, if you will commit behind the scenes to saying only good things about those who aren't present, guess what's going to happen? Those words will eventually get back to them, and they will think, well, this person must really think highly of me. Otherwise, they wouldn't be saying this when I wasn't around. So remember this. You are a dearly loved child of God. And all that James is saying today is let that identity drive all that you do. In the same way, by the way, that Jesus' identity as the Son of God, in fact, John the Apostle calls him the Word, the true revelation of God, so Jesus came here to feed you and me his grace because that's who he is. That's what he does and what he says. Go away knowing that, being confident that God has all these beautiful gifts to give you because he is your savior and the son of God. What's your next step? With God's forgiveness and help, make a commitment to fight to tame your tongue and gain control of your words. So powerful. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for your love and grace that affects us every day, changes our identity into your dearly loved children. Lord, we ask for you to help us in this fight to control our words because we know that our habits with words are going to affect every part of our life and the lives of those whom we love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join me in some very powerful words, the words of the Apostles' Creed that we use to confess our faith? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell.